Welcome, my friends, to From the Bridge, the podcast home of all things about corporate sponsorships and event marketing. I'm Rick Jones of Fishbait Solutions. We have a great show today with Bob Vecchioni, the Chief Executive Officer of NACTA, the National Association of Collegiate Directors of Athletics. It's been quite a year in college sports, and Bob will share his thoughts on where he thinks college sports is headed and the role that NACTA will play. We'll continue our series on the seven C's of new business pitches, take another trip up on the soapbox, and find another great place to eat on the road with Rick. So let's get started. Let's turn our attention to the third C in our series of the seven C's of effective pitching of new business. Remember the first C was competency. Your expertise and experience as an agency or individual consultant. The second C was context. Your understanding of answering the so what question by applying your identification of your competencies directly to understanding fully the specific needs of the client. Now comes the secret sauce. The third C which may be the most important, namely your ability to challenge their thinking. Clients don't hire you or think about hiring you to tell them what they already know or what they already think. They hire you to challenge them and their and others' conventional thinking. Here's a couple of examples. One we did right, and one, unfortunately, we did wrong. Let's start with the right one. I've told you on this show about our program with MasterCard in the World Cup back in 1994. Conventional wisdom in that era was the only way to leverage soccer in America was through youth soccer. And so every other agency pitched MasterCard by telling them, all kinds of great ideas they had for MasterCard to embrace youth soccer in America. Now, we felt like that probably worked for Coca-Cola or maybe McDonald's or Snickers. But how many little boys and girls were going to walk off the soccer pitch and say, hey, mom, let's go use the MasterCard today? It just didn't make any sense. And so we challenged the way they thought about the World Cup in soccer. We said, forget soccer, forget the sport. This is an enormous event in America for the first time, an event that's going to have huge economic impact. We coined the phrase welcoming the world to America, which really meant welcoming the world's money to America. And we wanted a disproportionate amount of that money paid for with a MasterCard card. And so everything that we did came out of that challenge position. Let's don't talk about soccer as a sport. Let's talk about the World Cup as an event. That was a big success. In fact, it was later written up by the Harvard Business School as one of the first sponsorship um, case studies ever. Okay, let me tell you about one we did wrong. Not so long ago, Invesco QQQ became a sponsor of the NCAA as a corporate partner, and we were invited to submit our credentials in an RFP. I think we did a pretty good job of telling them 
what our expertise and experience was, but we screwed up by not challenging them. See, here's what they wanted. They said they wanted to use the NCAA assets to create financial literacy programs for student athletes. We should have challenged them on that. You see, there had been two previous other sponsors of the NCA directly in their category. First, the Hartford and then Northwestern Mutual Insurance. And both had tried the same strategy and both had dismally failed. Why? Because the NCA doesn't have the assets to help you reach student athletes on campuses. They don't have those rights. The NCA has the rights to put on championships, namely men's and women's basketball, and a a bunch of other sports championships, but they have literally no way of penetrating individual schools. What Invesco wanted, been there, done that, and not done it very well, because architecturally, what they had bought would not enable them to do that. And I should have had the guts to tell them the truth. But I didn't because we thought, oh, let's just follow the leader. Let's just go and give them what they want. And we didn't even have a chance to pitch. I should have told them their baby was ugly because their baby was ugly. We learned our lesson big time on that one and vowed never again. I also believe that in order to serve clients, you have to continuously challenge their thinking and bring fresh ideas to them all the time. Challenging them is essential before you win the business and after you've won it. My very special guest today is my old friend and colleague, Bob Vecchioni, who oversees NACTA. NACTA is the trade association of everything connected to college athletics except for the coaches and the athletic trainers. It's the business side of college athletics from administrators to marketers to sports information directors to compliance, you name it. It falls into some organization under NACTA. Bob is one of the very best guys in our business. Those that listen to us regularly know I like to eat, and I keep a list of my favorite dishes that I've ever eaten anywhere. And the best dish I've ever eaten is a place called Johnny's in Cleveland, Ohio. And my good friend Bob Vecchioni took me there several years ago. They have stuffed banana peppers, veal stuffed banana peppers with marinara. It is literally the best dish I've ever had. And it's all because of my friend, Bob Vecchioni. Let's welcome Bob to the bridge. Hey, Bob, welcome to the bridge. Hey, good morning, Rick. Listen, I'm excited about you being here. I always ask all my guests to kind of go way, way, way back. Where'd you grow up? Where'd you go to school? Uh, Grew up in the suburbs of Chicago. I went to Addison Trail High School and then uh, matriculated to Missouri Western State College in St. Joe, Missouri. St. Joe's. Uh, my buddy Mike McCla- uh, Mike Camillay is doing a uh, a project in St. Joe's right now that's really really interesting. They've taken some some federal money and they're trying to decide how they change the culture of their town. And it's a really interesting campaign. Do they want to be St. Joe's? And they show crime and poverty and a lot of 
negative images, or do they want to be St. Joseph's? And they show the positive of the community and cut lawns and the school and all that stuff. So it's really, really fascinating from that standpoint. When you got out of school, what was your first job? Well, my uh, my uncle ran a masonry company, and uh, I went to go work for him as a hod carrier. And I was one of the few uh, few people in the company who spoke English. They were all uh, uh, Italians uh, off the boat from Italy. Wow, that had to be quite a quite an experience. Um, and yeah, so, so it really were you the, made were me, you the uh, translator mostly back to the boss. Well, I learned. I, I learned. I learned a lot of words that we can't use on this podcast. That's for sure. <laughs> that's too good. That's very good. You know, I think that's a great reminder of how many immigrants made our country. And, oh yeah. You know, I mean, it really is. I think we've lost the understanding of people came here from other cultures and other places. Many of them not even speaking the language. And figured out a way to chase the American dream, and I think that's fascinating. Yeah, both my grandparents, uh, both my grandfathers came from uh, Italy, and uh, my great grandparents. I remember them. Neither of them spoke English; they spoke Italian. That's amazing. And they had my grandfathers had menial jobs working for the park district or the gas company, and they just worked their way up. You know. Yeah, it was the old-fashioned way, wasn't it? Just one kind of step yeah. at a time or one brick at a time or one whatever at a time. And, yeah. And, yeah, they did, and there wasn't a lot of complaining, and there wasn't a lot of uh, asking for for help other than, you know, what we would do to anybody else. Um, different different era in a lot of ways. Uh, and no I, doubt, I and I kind of miss it, to be honest with you. Yeah, you know, in sport, I've always said that I, as a sports sociologist – I always look back at the 1920s, which was a great melting pot era where we had so many um, folks come from other countries. And this was the next generation of those um, immigrants. And they all played ball, you know. And at that point, it didn't matter, you know, what your language was or your religion or where you came from or where your parents came from. It was could you play? Could you when you walk on the baseball field, could you play? When you walked on the football field, could you play? And um Really, really interesting time uh, to watch the great uh, uh, influence of immigrants on American sport during that. Well, we, you and I first met when you were at National Car Rental. How'd you tell me about the journey to get there? Well, I, um, a, a friend of mine, I, I wanted to get out of the the uh, hot carrying business and get away from my uncle. So, one of the toughest conversations I had was with my grandfather who I said, Grandpa, I, I can't do this anymore. I'm going to work with my mind versus my body. And he looked at me, he said, you're going to regret it. You got to learn a trade. Um, but I just met uh, I had a real good friend of mine who uh, worked for National and um, he got me the interview. And, um, you know, I just uh, had a great interview with the gentleman and then had got called in for the second one and, uh, you know, got lucky and had Grandma Vecchioni say a couple rosaries and a novena, and I got the job, and uh, it just kind of blossomed and mushroomed from there. Well, I still rent from National all the time <laughs> because of you. Because you you got National in as an NCA corporate partner, 
Yep. And I was working with Jim Host at the time, and I, I have my I still think I have my original card uh, that goes way, way, way back and uh, have been very loyal. So you were very persuasive for all of us during that era of, hey, if you're going to be involved in college sports, you need to you need to rent from national. Um, and like I said, I, I still do. Yeah, it was just, you know, it was um, you, you don't get a lot of you know this. You don't get a lot of times in your life when you're able to be the first. The, the first one on the block and you know we just got lucky and the timing was right and we were just the first ones who identified the intercollegiate market as a target audience and um it was all the stars lined up and obviously uh you know thanks to jim and and the passion that that i had for college athletics um you know, saw an opportunity and really, uh, really took advantage of it. And it really, I'm very blessed that it really uh, springboarded my career. You know, I talk about bridges a lot. Uh, you know, we, we laughingly say this shows from the bridge, which is the bridge of the ship. But the truth is, it's about bridges in careers and, and lives and connectivity and all that. And, you know, what you did at National then ultimately led you to your, you know, your life's pursuit with NACTA. Um, and so you, you, you leave national, um, having built great relationships with so many people in intercollegiate athletics and you go to work for a guy that I had tremendous respect for the late Mike Cleary at, at, at NACTA. Talk, talk a little bit about that and talk a little bit about Mike. Yeah. Mike was a phenomenal, uh, phenomenal leader, a great friend. We became friends when, I was looking to get in the college marketplace, and I was uh, told by a number of people, there's two people you have to meet. One is Tim Simmons from the Adolph Coors Brewing Company, and the other is Mike Cleary. And so I met with Mike 1984 in the Red Lion Inn at SeaTac Airport over breakfast, and uh, we just hit it off, and, and, and I became a sponsor of uh, NACTA. First Final Four was 1985 in Lexington, Kentucky, and... Um, we sponsored a uh, we sponsored a cocktail reception for the ads, and again we just we just hit it off and um, really uh, you know took the NCA sponsorship that we had with Jim Host and and, and coupled that with the NAFTA relationship and um, you know within within three years the revenue went from zero to fifteen million dollars. Um, so, uh, it was, a it was just a mind boggling experience. And, but what, what really was, what really, what really got me interested and why I really loved it. And to this day is the relationships that I had with people. I mean, being a student athlete and then being able to, you know, work with athletics directors and help student athletes and being in this environment is just, um, it's, it's just been uh, been a godsend, and Mike was uh, Mike was always there. You know, he was the original Irish Godfather. Uh, Kevin White has that title now, but um, you know, Mike just said, uh, you know, when I was at the University of Minnesota, he said, uh, "You need to come work for me." And I said, uh, "I said, you know, my wife loves Minnesota. We love it here." He said, "Yeah, but you know, you're not making any money, and you can make a bigger impact on a national scale than than you can on a, on a local scale." And he just, uh, you know, God bless him, took me under his wing and said, "You need, you need to come work with me, and you need to build a business. I can't do it like I know you can." And he just had the utmost faith in me, and um, 
it's been a remarkable journey. Well, it's interesting about Forks in the Road. I mean, you know, at National, you get to meet a lot of people in intercollegiate athletics. Then you go internally and begin to understand what a campus is like and what athletic directors and other business leaders in intercollegiate athletics needs. And then Mike saw in you the ability to help him do things that he didn't have a skill set for. And I, I think that's really, really important. You know, I've, I've always told everybody about running an agency and I've, heck, Bob, I've been running them for about 35 years now. You know, the best training I ever had was being a coach. And and because the first thing you realize as a coach is you can't play. <laughs> you better get some players. And it's the same way in the agency business. And, and Mike, in a lot of ways, was kind of a coach in that he looked – at filling out his staff with skill sets that were complementary yet were different than his, and yeah, and I think that was a really great um, part of his legacy was his ability to see talent. No doubt, it's for him. It started an early age. It was funny because uh, him and his wife Sue, who recently passed, um, they had nine kids. They both came from. They both were only children. But when he first uh, got in the sports business, he was uh, he was a uh, scout for Eddie Donovan at the New York Knicks. So one year, Eddie said, Mike, I need you to find me a white power forward. And Mike says, what? He says, Eddie said, I need a white power forward. We have to draft a white power forward. Now, this is probably in 67 or it was before there. It was leading up to their. There, uh, the Knicks uh, championship season. So it might have been later. But anyway, he comes back. He identifies Phil Jackson. Wow. And obviously the rest is history. The Knicks draft Phil Jackson. Then he goes on and becomes, you know, a, 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 a role player with the Knicks. But then obviously works into being one of the most decorated coaches in the NBA. And Mike always had a unique ability um um, to again identify talent, you know, he was gruff on the outside, but but he told me, he says, Look, I can't do this anymore. You need, I don't have the ability. You, for him to admit that he needed help, you know, uh, older, stubborn Irishmen, uh, to admit that in that day and age was really a big thing. And I, I'll never, you know, I'll, I'll always uh, commend him for his leadership and his, 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 love of me and my family and it can never be replaced. And I, I try to pass that on to, uh, to our staff as, as, uh, you know, when the baton passes, uh, it's something that you need to do, you want to do. And, um, and we've tried to do that here at NACTA. Well, I know one of the things that you're proud of is your intern program. I mean, if, if we look at people that started in our industry as NACTA interns, it's significant. Talk, talk about that program. Yeah, it's a program that Mike started, and um, golly, we have over 225 kids in the, in the food chain now, going way back. Uh, one of the first interns that we had when I was here was Lee Reed, um, and Lee Reed came to us from uh, New Mexico. He's a student athlete at Cleveland State, New Mexico. Well, as you know, Lee matriculated up the food chain and was athletics director at Eastern Michigan, uh, Cleveland State, Georgetown. Then uh, four, four years ago, he was our uh, he became a NACTA president. Yeah, that's crazy. Isn't that amazing? What a journey from intern to NACTA president. Phenomenal, and 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 you know, and 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 that that whole saga has continued because right now, 
we have 15 full-time staff people at NACTA, and eight of them are former interns. So um, it's really important to me to maintain that NACTA culture because we, we're just different. You know, we just think different. We're, we're you know, it, it might be, you know, it might be 2021, you know, when you go outside in the world, but when you come in our offices, it's still 1965. <laughs> um and, you know, the work ethic is, is just incredible and their attention to detail and their love of the business and camaraderie with one another. I mean, you just can't, you can't, you can't replace that. It, it's really special. Well, the, the collegiate marketplace literally is a family and it, it's all about connectivity and it's all about education and leadership and training and that's what you guys do best. You know, you and I were talking the other day about the, the turnover this year in the number of ADs that have retired and the number of new, younger ADs that have taken over. And you, and you told me something I thought was really compelling. You said, hey, Rick, we got a lot of new ones, but they all came through NACTA. They're all our guys or gals. They're all our people. Talk about that as we have this transformational year and the role that NACT has played in so many ways with this new group of ADs? Well, it is a transformational year, and we did have a, a, a tremendous number of our leaders retire. But, but, but luckily, you know, uh, through the years, the bar was raised uh, economically for them, for them to allow them to do that. And I think COVID really, really played a role in, in, in you know, people's lives. And, hey, what, what's really important to me? And if you have enough, to, to, to spend more time with your family, why not do it? But if you look at the, um, and I don't have the exact numbers, but over over 98% of the athletics director's positions that have been filled in the last three years, 98% have come from within. So that means, you know, deputy, senior associates rising to the top to eventually um, fulfilling their dream to sit in the chair um, but that also allows um, the next generation, the associates, the assistants to move up the food chain and sit in that number two and number three position. So, uh, you know, there was a time when at your uh, power five schools, when when uh, uh, individuals from corporate America uh, did come in to, uh, you know, Morgan Burke. Um, at, at Morgan Burke at Purdue, um, uh, you know, Jack Swarbrick at Notre Dame. He's one who came, you know, came from a law firm. Uh, Pat Richter at Wisconsin. There were a number of guys who came from the outside, but, but the trend now is to, to hire from within the industry. And, uh, and that, that plays right into NACTA's hand because our role of education and networking, you know, a lot of these people came up through the food chain. They came up through one of our, 17 associations that we manage so they understand the role we play and the need for people to network with one another and the need to build that camaraderie. And so NACTA really is is built into the fabric of intercollegiate athletics. And again, it all goes back to Mike Cleary. That was his vision. That was his vision when he started the business. And then when I was hired, it was the vision of our leaders, the Bill Burns, the Jack Langles, the Jim Jones, the Mike Ludes, the Homer Rices. Those are the ones that said, hey, we want you to build a business, and here's how we want you to do it. And it's really paid phenomenal dividends today. Well, you mentioned COVID, and and that was a wicked curveball that literally none of us saw coming, but it did. 
And you guys had to pivot, you know, like everybody else. I mean, we went from having what I consider to be the best convention in the business, you know, but just because of not only the sessions and the speakers and the educational tracks that you have, just the camaraderie of having everybody in the industry under one roof, you know, I think is essential to, to intercollegiate athletics. But you had to change, and, and your staff did an amazing job. Talk about how you pivoted to being literally going from a a face-to-face convention to creating all sorts of online assets and ultimately doing a virtual convention, not once but twice. Yeah, we, um, you know, it was, it, it was difficult, but we, we, we circled the wagons, and, and I just said, hey, listen, if, if, if with this COVID now, if, 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 if we have to think differently, every element of our business we have to look at and say, how can we do it better and how can we do it differently? So our staff, uh, you know, again, God love them. They were working from home. Um, we were not, we did not have to lay off anyone. We had the great fortune of, um, you know, they'd be lucky than good. We happened to do an IT audit two years ago. So we all had upgraded equipment and uh, we were able to, to really be flexible. And we, we, we went to a situation where we had over 300 hours of programming that we, we put up on our website. So school, we knew schools couldn't afford professional development. So we created uh, virtual platforms and placed it on our website for them to use with their staffs. We also knew that they could not afford to pay any membership dues, and so we were able to waive the membership dues for a year. And um, we took the opportunity to put every, every college and university in this country who has an athletics department, we found them and put them in our system and told them they were in our system and started marketing to them. So we really very I'm, I'm very proud of the way that our staff handled everything, and um, you know we're we're positioned for the future. We had our virtual convention this year, and if if, if anybody could have a better lineup than uh, Condoleezza Rice, um, Admiral McRaven, and Maria Taylor as three of the four headliners, um, I'd like to see it because we did it, and our people loved it, and our staff really just work their butts off to uh, to make sure that the service that our members expected never wavered through COVID. You know, speaking of that convention and Dr. Rice, um, I mean, she's, she's one of my heroes. Uh, what I loved that she said was that in all her years in education and all her years in politics and all the committees that she served on, she said the best committee she ever served on was the CFP committee. And that how transparent everybody was and how honest everybody was and how no one had their own individual agendas or an agenda for their school or conference. And and that was really great to hear, you know, from someone that's kind of an outsider but has touched intercollegiate athletics to talk about what a joy it was to, to be part of that experience, I think, said a lot about our industry. Well, it says a lot about our industry and also says a lot about the leadership of Bill Hancock, who, uh, who, who this week is on the cover of Sports Business Journal and, and uh, for the wonderful job he's done in his career, just, just leading, um, you know, with the NCAA and now with the college football playoffs and just really being just unflappable, um, no ego and just really believing in the team concept and, him for him to to carry that baton uh, with the CFP has just been 
of standing and being able to pick the leaders that that have participated in that committee is just a, a great case study that hopefully some uh, someone in the in, in in the ranks will uh, will look at down the road and just look back and say what a great job that he and all the commissioners have done in creating that whole uh, CFP and BCS before that. Yeah, no question about it. You know, one of the things, Bob, I'm really proud of that y'all have done at NACTA is the John McClendon Foundation. Uh, y'all, you know, there's an old, there was an old song called I Was Country When Country Wasn't Cool. I mean, y'all stepped up about diversity and diversity issues long before others did. Talk, talk a little bit about the McClendon Foundation and what you're doing with that. Yeah, well, again, that speaks to Mike's leadership, right? I mean, uh, you know, Mike and John McClendon were good friends. Mike, Mike, John McClendon was the first African-American professional basketball coach. Mike Cleary hired him when he was a general manager of the Cleveland Pipers. Um, when they go on the road, they room together. Now, if you think about that, if you go back to the 60s, I mean, you know, Irishman and the African American, the GM, the guy that runs the, the the team and the coach, rooming together. I mean, they were just amazing. And and as he got on in years, he really wanted to. Uh, he really he had he had the foresight to know that um, that you know minorities were not getting a fair shake, and he wanted to do everything he kept he could to make sure that that we try to level the bar if if we could. So he created this McClendon Foundation. Uh, in the name of his great friend, John McClendon. And um, so every year, you know, we give out, you know, 10 postgraduate scholarships to to uh, young minorities across the country. Uh, through the years, Capital One, the Fiesta Bowl has stepped up and, and, and endowed a scholarship. Um, and that thing has, has really taken off. And then we had the very good fortune of uh, bringing back one of our not only interns, but um, McClendon scholarship recipients, Adrian Haraway. Um, we want to really expand the McClendon program and really do a better job. And uh, Adrian came in. Adrian was running the academics at UVA. Um, and he we, we convinced him to come back and, and play a role with NACTA and really take this McClendon um, foundation to a new level, which he has. We we started a new foundation, um, separate but in the same um, in the same silo as McClendon McClendon Leadership Initiative, and um, we just had a, a a phenomenal session this past weekend in Lexington. Uh, John Calipari uh, came to one of our former interns and said, "Hey." Um, we need to do something after George Floyd uh, had that had that incident and passed. And uh, Coach Calipari uh, gave a million dollars of his own money to start this program. And he uh, he uh, convinced sixteen other coaches to to give money to 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 create an intern program at their respective institution. So we have 33, 30 kids in the pipeline now that are interning because a basketball coach paid for that internship. Um, and NACTA manages it. Uh, former intern of Greg Darbyshire, G3, coordinates the sale to the coaches. We have another company, ProLink, who, 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 uh, who receives the, um, the applications and, and fills, the, fills the positions. But... Um, 
this whole thing is, is I'm so proud of, of what Mike started and I'm so proud that we've been able to carry that torch because uh, nobody, nobody has sustained that program and expanded it like NACTA has. They have 33 kids in the program and now we're going to be able to go out and start really making a difference. And one of the things that we told them this weekend in Lexington was, you know what? You were given this tremendous opportunity and all eyes are upon you. And when you succeed, not if, but when you succeed, you need to go back and do the same for someone else. And um, it's, it's, I just wish we could do a better job of promoting this because people need to know that that NACTA and the McClendon Foundation are really doing everything they can to move that needle and give young minorities an opportunity that no one else is giving them. Well, I think it's so essential that a young student athlete looks up into administration and sees something that reflects them, too. I just think that is so critical. And candidly, we've had a great year, I think, of hiring more minorities in, in, in intercollegiate athletics, and I think NACTA's played a huge role in that. Um, you know, uh, next year is the 50th anniversary of Title IX, and y'all have also done an amazing job with female leadership. And this year we've had a number of new, of fe- new female ADs, which I think, it, again, bodes well for our, our industry. It bodes well for the young women that you look up and say, but maybe I can be an AD one day. Maybe maybe I can pursue this. And y'all, y'all have always done that. You've had great female leadership come through as NACTA presidents. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, we we really have. I mean, you go you go through the years. You know, we've had. You know, when when it when it wasn't in vogue again, Mike Cleary, it wasn't in vogue, but we did a little historical um, journey to our first and second conventions in in in, in the sixties and. Mike had African-American speaking back then. I mean, nobody was doing that. You know, we had Barbara Hedges, University of Washington, as our first president. We've had, we've had Barbara Hedges, Debbie Yao, Judy Rose, Joan Cronin. Um, we've, had, we've, we've had female representation. We've had minority representation. Um, you know, we were doing it because it was the right thing to do, not because it was in vogue. And you know what? That's just that's just how we are. But again, I attribute I attribute everything to Mike and, and what he taught us. And then I commend our staff for 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 for, for you know being great students and, and following following that that message and following that that culture that thought process and and that's what that's what's different about us. You know, we're we're the good housekeeping seal and. And we we still we do it because it's right, irrespective of if it's in vogue or cool to do. But if it's the right thing to do, we're going to make sure that we do it. Yeah, I, I love your value system. I mean, and a lot of it came from Mike, but Bob, you've done a great job of carrying on the legacy. I, I tell you what, it's not easy following legends, and 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 Mike Clary was a legend, and you've done an amazing job again, not only of continuing to do the things that he wanted NACTA to do, but y'all scaled it. I mean, y'all taken it to another level. I think he would be extremely proud of what the organization is doing. And, I, and I'm going to tell you right now, in this era, I mean, last year was a train wreck. I mean, you know, COVID-19 alone, and then you add George Floyd, and then you add NIL, and then you add Transfer Portal. Um, you add, you know, financial issues. Um, this is a train wreck. 
and and you guys are helping schools and individuals navigate this i think better than anybody but it's um it is a weird year with all the things that are going on what what, what concerns you most about intercollegiate athletics right now well uh you know there's 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 a couple things i'm i'm really concerned about you know the the NCAA restructuring, and I'm really concerned that that I'm hopeful that the practitioners have their voices heard in the restructure, um, and I hope it's a bottom up um, philosophy versus a top down philosophy. Um, that's the only way it's going to work. Um, they have an incredibly aggressive timeline. I'm not sure that's a good thing. Um, we need to get we need to think through decisions before they're made, and um, and but we need to let the practitioners make the decisions. Um, the second thing that concerns me is uh, the lack of collegiality that I'm seeing out there. Um, you know, in the old days, uh, everyone got along. Um, no one made any money, but everyone got along. Um, and now, you know, it just seems like, you know, the lack of collegiality across the board, I'm going to say primarily in division one is, is very, very concerning. Uh, and, um, and we just need to really think through that and think through the decisions you know, but at the end of the day, we got a lot of smart people working in our business and a lot of people who care about student athletes and they're in this business for a reason and it's for the betterment of the student athlete. And, and I have the utmost confidence that these smart folks are going to sit around the table and make sure that we get it right. Whatever that, whatever that new shiny automobile is going to be, they're going to get it right. I have tremendous faith in them. Um, you know, we faced issues before back in the mid eighties when the Supreme court said, Hey, NCA, you can't control football. A lot of people thought the sky was falling. And I think we've done a pretty good job since 1985 doing some things. Uh, but the world's changed and, you know, the NCA has been, um, you know, uh, it, 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 they're just, they're so ginormous that it, it, it's it's in regulatory because of what they do, the legislative body. It, it, it's really hard to, to, to be fluent and make quick decisions and and thoughtful decisions. And, and maybe a, a new slim down model might might be might be better. Uh, but again, the, the the smart people, the decision makers behind there will will sit back and uh, hopefully um, do the right thing. And when this new model comes out, hopefully. It, it will be it will be good for everybody for all student athletes. Well, I think it goes back to the values. You know, we have this uniquely American institution called intercollegiate athletics. Nowhere else in the world does it exist, and and it is a training ground for future leaders. Um, it, it provides obviously great entertainment value for millions of people, but it also you know is an educational platform. That takes young men and young women and 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 helps them grow up and helps them become more effective and and, and bigger leaders. Um, I, I go back to what I said earlier about about Mike, its legacy, and you're carrying on the legacy. It's your value system, and I think we need to continue to 
remember our value system in intercollegiate athletics. And it can't be about, I'm going to get mine now. It, it's got to be about what's good for the ecosystem, what's good long term. Uh, you know, as an old basketball coach, you play too fast, you turn the ball over. I think there's a lot of unintended consequences that may be coming out of this because we've made, as you said, decisions maybe too quickly because we've been forced to do that. Uh, what else would you like to see NAC to do uh, that you're currently not doing or you're doing and you'd like to do it at a, at a larger scale? Well, I think um, what we're, I don't think, I know what we're going to be really focusing on are, um, are a couple things, you know, going back to our conversation about we have a lot of um, young ADs and experienced people sitting in the chairs. We need to do a better job of building platforms to help them do their job better. Um, and then we also need to do a better job of building platforms to help the deputies and senior associates who are also new in their job um, do their job better. We need to get them, you know, we need to get back to where we all can meet so we can start networking again and getting to know one another. Because one of the great things about this business is, you know, you compete like heck on the field of play. But when it comes to administration or sharing ideas or concepts, there's no better incubator of doing that than NACTA and intercollegiate athletics. And we need to get back to that. We're doing it now virtually, but we, you know, um, what did Martin Jarman say? Uh, you know, culture and, and leadership, are, it's blocking and tackling. You got to do it in person. You got to do it in person. And our people are dying to get together and be back in person again. So we're going to do everything we can to start creating these platforms where we could meet and, and get to know one another better um, and, and share ideas like we used to. Because again, it's, it's a different, you know, boosters are different. Student athletes are different. We need to circle the wagons with our leadership, with, with, with our, you know, with our administrators and share ideas on how to, how to tackle this, 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 you know, this post COVID, um, uh, time in our lives. And, you know, we'll do it. We've been very successful for, before, and we've got great leadership with, with our current officers, Jamie Pollard, uh, Rick Hart, Kim Record, Pat Chung, our, uh, Penny Parker. Our, you know, we have great representation. We have diversity. We have gender. We have divisional. Um, so we really have all bases covered, and we just, need to, we just need to create these platforms, and we need to get the world back to where we can meet again and really sit around a table from another and share ideas. Uh, that's really going to be the key. Well, let's close with this. You know, things do change, but leadership doesn't. And I can't thank you enough for the leadership you're providing at NACTA, what the organization is doing for intercollegiate athletics and what the future will hold because of the leadership that you're playing. So, Bob, I can't thank you enough for being with us today from the bridge. Thank you, Rick. Thanks for all you do. And, um, you know, it's always a pleasure to be with you. And um, if you ever need me or anyone on our staff again, just let us know and we'd be happy to, to jump in and uh, talk to you from our bridge. That's great. Thanks, pal. Appreciate you. Let's climb back up on the soapbox. Lately, I've found myself using the expression, 
I can't coach stupid a lot. (laughs) Seems that people are not doing what I expect them to do, like those refusing to wear a mask on a plane or those who've decided not to get the vaccine or those who post on social media why they are not getting the vaccine or clients whose purpose and existence is to get people united and yet cannot or will not unite their own organizations. Like I said, I can't coach stupid. But then I went to church last Sunday, and the scripture from Ephesians said, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. No, I don't get drunk on wine, but I did substitute the word self-righteous for wine and realized I have been wrong. Trying to be a decent human being and being a Christian requires me to act differently I need to be more respectful of others' opinions and habits, no matter how frustrating they may be to me. I still can't coach, stupid. I just need to be a little more selective about calling it out. (laughs) And that's my view from the soapbox. It's that time to get back on the road with Rick. I love Mexican food. When my son Ryan got married to Celia in Los Angeles, we debated about what kind of food to serve at the reception. Ryan's lovely wife, Celia, is a second-generation Mexican-American. When I asked Ryan what he wanted to eat and what she wanted to eat at the reception, he said, well, let's have Mexican food. Charlotte and I thought, hmm, are we being kind of racist here? I mean, they're Mexicans. Do we serve Mexican food? Ryan kind of quickly put us in our place. He said, Dad, Italians like Italian food. Irish like Irish food. And yes, Mexicans like Mexican food. When you think about it, Ryan got married right after Christmas. And we were probably tired of all those traditional Christmas menus. And Mexican food was just what the doctor ordered. When I first moved to Charleston back in 2000, I had heard a story about Red Auerbach's famous Tuesday lunch in Georgetown. Y'all remember Red Auerbach, the great coach and general manager of the Boston Celtics. What a lot of people don't know is Red never permanently lived in Boston. He lived in Washington, D.C., where he had gone to college and where he was married and raised his two daughters. Well, when Red was coaching... During that era in the 1940s, 50s, and early 60s, 
by the time you played a pro basketball game and were looking for something to eat late night, about the only thing open were Chinese restaurants. And so Red ate a lot of Chinese restaurants in cartons in his hotel room over the years. And so he loved Chinese food. And he ended up hosting a lunch after he retired in Georgetown at a famous Chinese restaurant every Tuesday. And Red had all kinds of amazing people drop in to eat lunch with him, like Senator Bill Bradley and media people and coaches and players and all kinds of stuff. So when I got to Charleston, I decided I wanted to do the same thing. But I like Mexican better than I like Chinese. So I hosted a lunch every week with a bunch of leaders in the sponsorship industry in Charleston at Santee's Mexican Restaurant. It's the real deal Mexican here in Charleston. They have great, I don't mean good, I mean great enchiladas with varied sauces like mole or rancheros or verde. They have wonderful tamales. I like Mexican breakfast. Then they have huevos rancheros and huevos mexicana. They also have a really killer tortilla soup, all at reasonable prices. It's Santee's. It's a little south of the border in North Charleston on the road with Rick. That's a wrap for today's show. Thanks to my good friend, Bob Vecchioni, for being our guest angler and sharing his perspective. We'll be right back here again next week from the bridge. Mm-hmm.